Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23 we're going to be reading today. There are Bibles there in the seat back in front of you, as well as the verses will appear on the screens uh, as well. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time for the reading of God's word, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and uh, worship together and to uh, be with friends and family and hear your word preached and grow closer to you. I thank you for a uh, country we live in America where we can worship you and I pray you just use our pastor today as he preaches, prepare our hearts, help us to be in tune to the preaching of your word. Thank you for your love to us. In your name I pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, thank you for that. Well, as you could tell from the verse there that uh, Andy led us in reading, we're in Galatians chapter number five, and we'll probably be there for a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk um, about the fruit of the Spirit um, probably for a few weeks anyway. <clears throat> and I did want to mention, I forgot one of the items for our, for our uh, um, Labor Day picnic tomorrow. We're going to have a cornhole tournament. And so uh, how many of you have ever played cornhole? How many of you? Okay. Um, we'll have a couple sets, and it'll be, it'll be intense. I've seen you guys play cornhole. And so it'll be broken down into age groups. We'll have one for the, the younger age, um, and then we'll also have one for 16 and up. And so you can get your teams together, and if you would like to uh, sign up, I know there's a, a sign-up sheet for that in the back, and Andy will put a bracket together. And even if you're not sure who you will uh, compete with, please come, and we'll make sure we put you with someone. And again, those, uh, those prizes will also be uh, good gift cards, so you want to come, and that'll be a delightful time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help and your favor Please, Lord, guide and direct our words and our thoughts, and we are grateful for the opportunity to be in your house. We think of those that are away, some who are hindered, some who are not well physically, and some who are just traveling. I pray that you'd be with all of them, and I pray you'd bring them back again. Lord, we're grateful for everyone that's made the effort, and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as only you can. Please guide and direct our words, our thoughts. We pray, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about the, the Spirit's fruit, and uh, we'll draw your attention to a couple verses there um, and break them down a little bit. Uh, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The first one, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, by the way, fruit is singular. Sometimes people will say these are the fruits of the Spirit, and love is a fruit of the Spirit. Actually, the fruit of the Spirit is evidenced by these characteristics, and fruit is singular. Um, for instance, just in a simple way of saying it, you could look at an apple and say it was crispy. You could say it was firm. You could say it was red. You could describe it, and you could say it was juicy, but it's still one piece of fruit. And so when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's evidences that a child of God ought to have. You know, nobody knows whether or not you're a child of God except you and the Lord. 
Uh, I, could, I couldn't begin, and it would be foolish for me to even try, and wrong, I think, scripturally speaking, uh, to even try to figure out who's saved, who's lost, because we have no way of knowing. Um, the Bible gives the examples, uh, the example in, in uh, the scripture in the Gospels about uh, trying to discern and decide between the tares and the wheat. And he told me, he said, don't, don't pull the tares out uh, because you might misinterpret that, uh, you know, and get the wheat mixed in because they look very similar in their early stages. And so I don't have any, uh, any idea who's saved, but I'll tell you this, you must be born again. And that's from the Bible. That's what the Word of God says. It doesn't matter whether you, you, you can say, well, I belong to such and such church. You know, when you get to he- when you, if you get to heaven, it won't be because you belong to a church. Now, it's important. Church membership is a good thing. It's a, church membership is another level of commitment. It's saying, I, I want to identify with that church. I want to be part of that church, and I want to be connected to that church in a real way. A lot of times people have loose connections spiritually. You don't want a loose connection spiritually because you want to be as anchored as you can spiritually. That's one of the reasons. That's really a, a brief oversight and a brief summary, way too brief, about being involved and connected to a church. But church membership doesn't get you to heaven. We're going to baptize a couple of folks this morning who've got saved uh, in recent months, and so we'll do that at the conclusion of the service today. But baptism doesn't save you. It, it doesn't, it's not putting the final stamp on salvation. Uh, the Bible says it is not the answer of the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience before God. You're not saved by baptism. Some denominations will tie your faith to baptism. No, no. Baptism is a step of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you. Um, I, would, I would liken it to a wedding ring, for instance. If, this, if I'm not wearing my ring, I, I'm still wed. I'm still married man. My wedding ring lets you know that I'm married. Baptism lets you know that I've identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. We pass the offering, and I don't know how much came in. Maybe we need to pass it again, but uh, just seeing if you're listening. Um, but, uh, you know, if you put money in the offering, it's a good thing goes to a good cause, helps the church, helps missionaries, uh, all those different types of things, uh, helps get the gospel out, helps pay for our WANA program, different things that we operate here. But it doesn't garner you any favor necessarily regarding salvation with God. Because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He hath saved us. You could never give enough. I'd, I'd welcome you to try, but you could never give enough so so you thinking, man, where's he going with this? Um, trust me, you could never give enough. I was at one of our, we have a quiz every week in our connection group. One of the questions was about Jeff Bezos, who considered to be the wealthiest man in the world, worth over $100 billion. But all of his money won't get him to heaven. He can buy everything this world has to offer, and then some. But he'll have nothing when he stands before God unless he trusts Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the house you live in, the car you drive. Some of you, some of you right now are going through difficulties in different, different eras and states in your life, if you will. Some are doing very well. Some are barely making it. But I promise you this, none of that matters when it comes to standing before the Lord. You must be born again. Now, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, this first one is a big one. It's love. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what the world needs now. Boy, that really dates me, doesn't it? Okay. How many of you know what that is? Okay. A few more. All right. Um, I, you know, I could have said love, true love, but uh, maybe s- some of you didn't get that either. Okay. How many of you got that one? Okay. All right. It's in the intertestamental period there, both of those quotes. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. But 
The greatest example of love, of course, is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very, very clear. In fact, probably the most familiar passage of Scripture in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved. And everything that we can learn about love, we learn from God. Man has his own idea about what love is. And we're terrible imitators of love. We, we say we love this or we say we love that. And love is a very flippant and fluid thing with us, but not with God. You know, God said that I loved you with an everlasting love. You know, one of the wonderful things about love is you can't lose it from God. Sometimes in our culture, we feel like, oh, I, I fell out of love, or I've, so-and-so doesn't love me anymore, I don't love this anymore, I, you know, all those different types of things, but it doesn't work that way with God. You can't do better and get God to love you more than He does. God loves you. And I love that. I said, to me, that is so awesome. You know, because for a while, especially early in my, my, my Christian life, I thought, man, every time I fell short, I was getting on God's naughty list. And God loved me less. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, sin does create a barrier, a wedge between us and God. The Bible says, your sins, your iniquities have separated you from God. I understand that. It's a hindrance to our prayer. It's a hindrance to our walk with God, just as it would be with any relationship. But it's not like God throws me to the curb, kicks me to the curb because I blew it today. God still loves me. I'm not saying he condones wrong. Don't misunderstand me. You can be disappointed with your own children when they do wrong, but they're still your child. You don't stop loving them. And to a greater degree, far more than we could ever even begin to comprehend, God loves you. And so we we recognize that he says, hey, this this is one of the key trademarks that you belong to me. And at the end of the day, the one person to whom you want to be anchored, the one person to whom you want to be tethered and fastened is the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing songs like, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And you want to be anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to look at John 3.16 just for a few moments as we, as we uh, approach this and, and get right into it. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, arguably, one of the greatest verses that you that there is in the Bible, if you try to, and I, I don't want to be the one who tries to say, well, this one's better than that one, but th- this, is, this is pretty good. This is loaded. Uh, a lot of times you'll see at a sports venue someone holding up a sign, John 3.16. Uh, Tim Tebow, quarterback for uh, a number of years at Florida Gators, then uh, uh, try, tried to make it in the NFL, now I think trying baseball and so forth, but known for his testimony. One of the things he did with his, with his shoe black under his eyes is he put John 3.16. They said that when he did that, it was the most Googled item, searched item, John 3.16, that entire month. Millions of hits, people trying to figure out what is John 3.16. And he put it on his shoe black, and then the NFL said, you can't do that. And so he he no longer could put John 3.16 there. But it's probably one of the, uh, easily one of the most recognizable verses in Scripture. So I want to say several things. First of all, we see from John 3.16 God is the source of all love. It's not new with you. It's not original with you. And, and if you think you can love without understanding God's love, you're going to be mistaken. That's why our world is in such trouble and turmoil. And we think about, we hear stories and 
you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into the, the politicization of, of, of shootings and all those different kinds of things. I know many of you who come here regularly and know me, you know where I stand. I'm a, I'm a constitutionalist. I'm a Second Amendment guy. Uh, and the, the, the problem in America is, is not guns. The problem in America is evil hearts. The problem in America is sin. Uh, we're sinners. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. Uh, you know, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get in the political spectrum. And, and again, I don't try to be politically correct. I, that's, that's not for me. I try to be biblically correct. But nonetheless, the, that shooting that happened in the Midland, Odessa area when that guy was pulled over by some Texas state troopers and then went on a shooting rampage, that was done because of an evil heart. It was done because of sin. And our world is spiraling culturally in many ways because we don't understand love. And our, our comments and our commentary that we see in our culture and our, our music and our media and our social platforms, man, it's just filled with hate, filled with rage, filled with anger, and love is missing. And one of the biggest reasons is because we've kicked God to the curb. You can't expect to throw God out of our public institutions, remove Him from our federal buildings and destroy, hey, we don't want this plaque here, the Ten Commandments, because it might offend somebody else. But hey, it's what our our Constitution, our nation was built on those Judeo-Christian principles. And you can't just say, God, we don't want you. We only want you this much and then not expect to reap the whirlwind. And that's what we're doing in our country today. And sometimes in our lives spiritually, we think, well, I, I know I'm a Christian, but let me ask you this. Do you love? Because one of the greatest evidences of a child of God in the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we see, first of all, the source of love is God. The Bible says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And that's a mouthful right there. And so if you say in your heart, for instance, the Bible tells us, you know, that if you say that you hate a brother... The Bible says the love of the Father is not in you. Now, you might have somebody that you don't get along with, someone that you wrestle with, someone that you, oh, this person gets on my last nerve or this or that. And, uh, but, but the Bible says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But as Christians, many times in our own heart and life, we get offended by the smallest things, things that don't really, really matter. You know, uh, uh, today is the anniversary for my wife and I, of, of Rebecca's diagnosis of cancer. And so my, my wife, we always, now we call it Celebration of Life Day. And so uh, it's a good thing because the Lord was very gracious and healed Rebecca. But, but this day serves as a reminder in, in that regard and in that respect. But boy, we, we live in a culture where it's just, man, it's just, it's just thrust upon us. And people just don't love and, and I realize, going back to that, where I, w- where I was going with Rebecca's thought there, you know, for a period of months there, particularly that entire year when she was going through her treatments and then out of the hospital, you know, nothing else really mattered. I didn't, I didn't get about, been out of shape about anything. And I'm a guy that follows my sports teams, and man, when they lose, I'm just, oh, I'm like this. By the way, thank you for coming to church today, even if your team did not fare well yesterday. But you're probably still feeling it. And you know what? I hear you, man. That's, that, that's me, and I, you know, I still watch my teams when they're so far out of the picture. I mean, I'm checking scores last night on the Cincinnati Reds, who are like 25 million games behind. I mean, you know, and here it is, you know, it's late August into September, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And we can get so attached to those things, but, but we get bothered by things that don't really matter. 
And my wife told me this. I remember we were at the Ronald McDonald House, and uh, they have those at a lot of children's hospitals where they will put uh, people up. And it's a fabulous thing. I often put money into those little boxes at McDonald's. Uh, Lord knows I bought enough Diet Coke there for sure. But we had stayed there a number of times, and when we stayed, uh, my wife never left Rebecca, but I would get a room in the Ronald McDonald House, and they would always ask you, what can you pay? And I'd say, what do you mean, what can I pay? They said, we don't charge anything. You just pay whatever you want to pay. And we really didn't have a lot of money back then. And so I said, can I give you 10 bucks a day? They said, 10 bucks a day is fine, whatever you can pay, because we're privately funded by people who drop those in there. And so I, I stayed there a number of nights. My wife would stay in the hospital room with Rebecca, and I was usually across the street. But my wife said this to me. She said, you know, she said, the sooner we learn this, the better off we'll be, and that is don't sweat the small stuff. And you know what happens to a lot of us, spiritually speaking? We're sweating the small stuff. And because of that, our love does this. And it becomes really kind of flippant. It's kind of hit and miss here and there. And it's uh, one day, yes, I love so-and-so. The next day, I can't stand them. I don't know why I ever liked that person. But God's not that way. And so we understand that God is love. The source of love is for God. Then we see the depth of love, so love. The Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. The depth of love is God so loved. It doesn't matter who you are. There is no sin that you have that God can't forgive. Sometimes people say, yes, but what about this? I don't care what it is. You can't name a sin that God cannot nor has not already forgiven. You think about everything that you could possibly think of. John Newton considered himself to be the worst sinner that was ever. He was a slave trader and notorious in his life and alcohol and by his own testimony, debauchery, just a horrible life. But he trusted Christ and he penned the words to amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved by his own identity, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What was he saying? I, I know how deep his love is is for me, the depth of his love is so loved. Then the third thing that we notice is the recipient of love, and that's the world. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. If the dew of sin is fresh upon your brow this morning, God died for you. Man, sometimes we think as Christians, well, God loves me more than he does somebody else. Sorry. God loved the whole world. That means those that, uh, I read a story recently about a uh, a man, his, his testimony was on death row and, and, uh, for, for capital murder in a distant state, and, and he was ultimately executed many, many years ago. But in his, in his testimony, he found the Lord Jesus Christ while he was in prison and was led to the Lord by a prison chaplain. And an amazing testimony about how God changed his life. But, but he asked himself the question so many times that the person who would bring in the gospel to him is, can God forgive me? I took the life of a family. And he talked about his horrible crime, and he said that weight upon him. God can't forgive that. But ultimately, you have to understand, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how you've lived, what's your past. You say, you don't know my past. God does. It's not like you showed up this morning and God said, wow, I didn't know they were coming. Man, I got nothing for them. I'm not even sure they should be here. It doesn't work that way with God. God looks at you and he says, you're the reason I came. But sometimes we, we miss that, and so it's very important to understand the recipient of love is the world. And the fourth thing that we see is the demonstration of love, and that is He gave. The Bible says, every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. And let me tell you this about God this morning. God's a giver. The devil's a taker. 
The Bible says, for the thief, speaking about the devil, cometh not but for to steal, to destroy. Every, you know what the devil wants? Everything you got. And he wants to ruin it. He wants to wreck your marriage. He wants to steal your purity. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to destroy everything you have that is, that is wrapped around your faith and wrapped around God. Everything that God has made, he wants to destroy it. The Bible, he wants, to, he wants to eradicate it. He wants to just do everything he can. He wants to do as Voltaire. Voltaire said that before he left this life, that, that the Bible would be removed from the annals of history. Well, that didn't happen. But that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to rob you. The Bible says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which are lost, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. That's what he wants to do. And God says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take. I want to give. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know if I want to trust Christ because it means I have to give up this. Really, think about that. Whatever it is that that sin that is saying, well, if I get saved, I know what that means. Yeah, it means you're not going to hell. No, it means I can't do this anymore. Well, that's probably what the Lord wants you to do. He probably does want you to give up those things and let him have them. But can you imagine when you, when you can you imagine dying and going to hell? I, I can't even imagine, but, but, but if you could for a moment. And I remember before I got saved, I remember being so under conviction that I literally thought, and I never heard, I've read this, the sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God, but, but I literally thought that at any moment I was going to drop into hell. I can remember literally driving down the road thinking, I'm going to get in a car wreck today. I was so fearful that hell was so present and so, so right in front of me, so imminent. And, and I knew, I knew I needed to be saved, but not yet. Why? Because there was a little bit more enjoyment to be found in my sinful life. There was something else that I went apart from. I wanted to hang on to this and hang on to that. Do you realize that the day I got saved, God said, give me all of that junk that you're hanging on to yeah, but what about this? And what about this? Jesus said, I came to give you life. See, the problem is what the devil does is he deceives you into thinking that you've already got it. You think, oh, I'm having so much fun. Man, I'm just enjoying my life. The Bible says, what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. A man's life is not the abundance of the things which he possesses. You know, I talked about Jeff Bezos, and I, I, I read a story recently about Steve Jobs and uh, just his life and testimony in the last days of his life, and he was reflecting, he thinking all the things that he had, all the possessions, and he realized that means nothing. By the way, when you stand before God, the amount of money that you had in your bank account, your 401k, your retirement home, every trip you ever took, every vacation you have, every suit you had hanging in the closet, every car you ever drove, the homes you lived in, none of that stuff will matter when you stand before God. None of that will matter. The only, matter, only thing that will matter is, are, have you been born again? And so we realize that love, the source of love, the depth of love, the recipient of love, and the demonstration of love is that he gave. Then we see the extent of love, his only begotten son. I can't imagine that. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Man, we put that as such a valuable thing. We just think, man, it's, uh, boy, if, if I can just have money, if I can just have things. I, was, uh, I read a book uh, two weeks ago on the Donner Party, and there was one of the families that was in the, the party there. And uh, their, their father had taken under the clapboards of their wagon, and he, had, he was uh, very wealthy when, the, when they, left, uh, they left Illinois. They met up in St. Joseph's, Missouri. 
and as they were meeting to make their progress across uh, uh, the mountains, and of course, you know the story, um, nearly half of them died in the mountains. But this man had taken, and he had secured a bunch of wealth, and he'd taken all those gold and silver coins, and he had hid them in a compartment underneath that wagon. Uh, they, were, they were unearthed about 50 years after the Donner Party crossed because that wagon broke down, and, and they were left right there long after that family was gone. And listen, everything that you, that you reach for and that you seek to have and to acquire and to accumulate, somebody else is going to have it after you're gone. You think, oh, man, I got this. This is so valuable. Ah, not when you stop breathing. You say, Pastor, I'm supposed to get encouraged today. Hey, I'm just telling you the truth. You know, you think, well, I've got this, and I've got this, and, I, I, you know, I have that. And, and I, I always love sports, and I remember um, I was, uh, I think it was, uh, it was the late 80s, and I was holding a, what at that time was the most expensive trading card, baseball card in the world. It was a 1910 T206 Honus Wagner. And I used to collect baseball cards like they were, they were just the greatest thing. And I, at one time, I had over one million cards. So when I say I collected cards, I collected cards. I had closets and closets full of them. But I was at a card show, and they, they called this one the holy grail of baseball cards. And Wayne Gretzky, who was the hockey player back in those days, he actually purchased it. But the guy, the dealer, I knew the dealer, and so he let me hold it. 1910 T206 Honus Wagner card. That, sold, that car has sold multiple times over the years, and it's always been in the seven figures, millions, millions. But you know what it is? It's a piece of paper. It means nothing. I wouldn't mind having it, but it's, it means nothing. And, and when, if you're the owner of it, when you leave this life, it means nothing. And, and so God is kind of equating it here, and he said, look, he said, you guys are thinking about silver and gold. He said, that's nothing. That is absolutely nothing. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with God saying, those things, those are corruptible things from your vain conversation received by your father. You and I were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see the demonstration of love that he gave, the extent of love, his only begotten son. And then we see, and I'm almost done here, we see the universality of love, and that is whosoever will. The spirit of the bride say, come. This is from Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Let him that heareth say come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I'm trying to remember the songwriter. It was back in the 19th century, but um, uh, I think it was P.P. Bliss. But they said that in most of his songs, he tried to at least one time include the word whosoever, because he never wanted to get, he, he never wanted to get past the fact that the gospel was open-ended to anybody. And so he would throw that word in there at least once in many of his songs, whosoever. You know what that means? That means you. It means me. I, I'm, glad that, uh, I'm glad that when I trusted Christ, I didn't have to, will he take me? Will he accept me? Think about my life. Think about my history. Think about what I've done, where I've lived, and what I've said, and all those things, my thoughts. And I think about all those things, and those weights begin to press down against me. And I think, would he take me? And then you find the glorious news of the gospel. It's whosoever. And so as we see the fruit of the Spirit, we understand, boy, that characteristic of love is identified, and then finally by the receiver of love. The Bible says, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, and here's the kicker, believeth, shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 13, this, this message is turned a little bit for us, but I want you to pay attention here. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad I did not have to work. I was talking to somebody recently, and we were going through the, what we call the plan of salvation. Can you imagine what it'd be like to wonder if you did enough? Can you, can you imagine going through life? I, I can't imagine it. I, I can't imagine wondering, what if today was a really bad day and I didn't measure up? What if today I threw a lot more bad stuff on that scale and somehow they weighed down? Or what if, uh, what if I'm away from God and I'm taken suddenly in a car wreck and, and uh, because of that, I wasn't right with God when I died? Oh, can you imagine? And by the way, some people live that way. But you don't have to. Because God says, whosoever, whosoever will, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then finally, quickly, I want to hit a couple thoughts here. So then we see not only the demonstration of love, but we see the product of love, and that is life. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. If you're here this morning and you're saved, God wants your life to be abundant. Yeah, I read something recently. I, don't, I, I realize that a lot of times statistics are based on studies and analysis, but I think sometimes they're made up. But the survey said, and this was, I, it might have been in Christianity Today. I'm not sure which of the publications it was. I do read uh, several of them. But it said that 70% of professing Christians, people, people who claim to have a faith in Jesus Christ, identify as being depressed. 70%. We get depressed for a lot of reasons. This didn't work out. Okay, do you want to live that way? Well, my marriage, my finances my health. Hey, listen, every, every one of you here this morning, you got something you can be bummed about. Every one of us. Yeah, I don't care. And yours is huge to you. And if I mention mine, it's not a real big deal. You know, whatever it is. I, I, I'm wearing a brace. I tore my meniscus. I'm so aggravated about that because I like running. And uh, they told me no running, at least for a while, if, if again. And I said, really? Please? But, you know, tearing a meniscus, a meniscus that's not a big deal. I mean, Dave's over here facing surgery and hoping he can keep his leg. A pastor three hours north of here, his wife died yesterday. You understand what I'm saying? There are people in the Bahamas right now that are facing one of the strongest hurricanes in history. I'm saying all of that because everybody goes through stuff. I'm not minimizing or maximizing anybody's. I'm just saying, do you want to live there? So let's go around in life and we're just toting it all the time. And the devil says, that's how I want you to live. I came to take it. And so the moment you're happy, you know what the devil says? I want that. The moment you're content, Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And so the moment that you think everything is going great, the devil says, boom, I'm going to seize upon that and I'm going to throw something or someone or some thought or some memory or some word or some song or some message and I'm going to hit you with it and I'm going to remind you, you are not happy. Then what happens? Yeah, I guess really I'm not. Man, I really am disappointed. I really am there. And God says, that's not how I want you to live. That's why the devil came. He wanted to destroy everything. 
I, I can imagine, it, it, it blows me away to think, if that statistic is accurate, 70% of professing Christians identify as depressed. Hey, listen, you're going to heaven when you die. I don't, I, I don't, I'll say it this way, and I don't mean to sound insensitive or uncaring. I don't really care what's happening in our life right now. I will never know hell. I may not drive the car, the truck that I want to. I may not vacation at the place I want to. I may not have this. I may not have that. But I will never know the fire and terror of hell. Think about that. That ought to put a smile on the face of every child of God today. And if you have never been born again, you got plenty to be unhappy about. Man. So the product of love is life. And God said, I want you to have it. And I want it to be good. I don't want to spend my days miserable, intolerable, and unsufferable to those around me. Because God doesn't want you to live that way. And he said, this evidence, and we'll talk about it a little more as we get to the next one, will be for every child of God, and that is love. God said, I want you to love because it's who I am. It's what I do. And for you to ever get to that place, you must be born again. It all starts with that. Much of what has been said today makes no sense to the unbeliever. You got to know that you know that you know that heaven is your home and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence, number one, is love. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just very, very quickly in way of invitation, I'm going to ask those that are coming for baptism, if you would, go ahead and make your way down here. And Andy, if you'd meet them at the front. But maybe there's someone else here today, and you'd say, you know, I'm not even sure I'm a child of God. I'm not even sure that heaven is my home. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there someone who would say, would you pray for me? I really want to know for sure that I'm a Christian. I cannot say right now with absolute confidence that heaven is my home. Is there one like that? Would you lift your hands very, very quickly? I'm not going to embarrass you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Say, pray for me. I'm really not sure. I'm going to tell you this. You can know for sure that heaven's your home, and it's by this, simply placing your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's realizing four things. Number one, I'm a sinner. Oh, and that's all of us. That's me too. I'm no different. That is me. I am a sinner. And so are you. It's also acknowledging there's a penalty for that sin. And that penalty is death and hell and separation from God. But then I know someone paid that for me. That's the whole reason Jesus came. The Bible says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's me and you. And so I realize I'm a sinner. I realize there's a payment for sin, and I realize that someone already paid it for me. What a deal. All I have to do is accept the gift. You can't earn it. You cannot do enough for it. You simply place your faith in what Jesus did for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know that, I would invite you to come. 
I would invite you to say, boy, today, this is the day I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I hope you do that. In a moment, the piano is going to begin to play, and you'll have an opportunity to respond. And I hope that you will. And if you need someone to pray with you, we have gentlemen here who can pray with men and ladies who can pray with ladies. But don't miss heaven. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Do not miss heaven. Maybe there's someone here and you're a child of God. You know for sure that you're a Christian. You've already trusted Christ. But you realize, boy, the devil's taken some of your love. Man, he's made you unhappy. Made you miserable in some ways. Boy, with the Lord's help, you want, that, you want that love back. Love for the right things, love for others. We'll talk about that. But may God help us to have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life.